Scott with SJWildfire.com. Final Days Report, episode 243. On today's VCast, we're going to discuss the article about New York City sinking. And oh, by the way, cities around the world on coastlines are sinking. We're going to discuss from a Christian scientist's point of view the reason why. And it's not what you're being told by the mainstream news. Also, did you know science, Northwestern University, for example, has recently discovered an underground ocean three times larger than the ocean on the surface. Folks, this is primary water. Libya tapped into primary water before NATO bombed it. They were greening the desert. We're also going to discuss Joe Rogan and play a video of his guest, his scientist guest, talking about the great flood of Noah. The evidence is overwhelming. We're not told the truth, my friends. The good book, the Bible, is 100% true, and this evidence I'm going to show from Joe Rogan is mind-bending. First, let's get into the article. New York City is sinking under the weight of its buildings, geologists warn. Now, we did a V-cast, Final Days Report, episode 191. I had a dream of coasts, cities on coasts, sinking all over the world. And sure enough, I looked up an article, and it was mostly in Asia, but cities were dropping. Now, this Christian scientist went on to talk about the why. And again, it's not part of the article that I just shared about New York City. He went on to say the tidal pools are really acting up. And what they're doing is they're eroding the foundation. They're taking away the sand and creating sinkholes, potentially. This is going to get crazy. And again, uh, this is a end of days news ministry. I started to have dreams that would come true. That's why I started this Watchman News Ministry. And I had a dream with this incoming system, this Planet X system. And if you're a flat earther, maybe this is coming from the outer lands or maybe it's a dimension thing. But I had a dream that I saw tidal pools coming into a major city and covering a certain portion of the city. Is this happening today? This Christian scientist believes that's the case. Plus, volcanism is taking off. And the next article I want to share is the discovery of an underground ocean from Northwestern University that basically I think is primary water. This water comes up and again, Libya tapped into it and they were greening the desert. They had more water than they knew what to do with before NATO blew it up. Let's read. Researchers at Northwestern University have found evidence for a massive reservoir of water deep within the Earth's mantle. The reservoir, which is said to be three times, three times The volume of the oceans on the surface is contained within a highly pressurized rock known as ringwoodite. The scientists hope that their findings recently published in the Journal of Science can shed light on where Earth's oceans came from. So as this water comes up, is that disrupting these cities and sinking these cities as well? And again, this is primary water. As evidence, as I mentioned earlier, Libya. Libya was tapping into primary water and they were greening the desert. So what is primary water? Primary water is earth-generated water. When conditions are right, oxygen combines with hydrogen to make new water. It's a continuous resource. And I'm going to do a part two VCAST talking about Klaus Schwab said water is not a right. Do you remember the CEO from Nestle said we need to put a value on water? Folks, they're, they're trading water on the stock exchange. And the World Bank's getting involved. They want you to drink toilet water where they're building and financing these these facilities to take toilet water so that you can drink them. Think of all the pharmaceuticals in that water. Good night, my friends. They're not tapping into primary water. 
And if you want to dive deep into this, I think the best resources to actually look into is Deborah Tavares. And then she actually has a couple other sources as well. I probably listened to 10 videos of hers where she's interviewing this oil man that would drill into rock in the weirdest places and tap into primary water. They're trying to have water that's abundant and make it this finite resource. But with that said, we know in the end of days, water's going to be an issue, especially surface water, right? Rivers are going to turn blood red. So you need to have your water strategy aligned. It's almost feast or famine. Places are either flooding around the world or they're in a drought. Let's dive deep into the Great Flood. And I thought this was an interesting video from Flat Out Truth about reservoirs and about this primary water coming up. Could this be one of the reasons why these cities are actually sinking? Because the earth is just being shaken at its core. But I found this interesting. We're told that these, if you're just listening to a podcast service, I'm showing a meteor crater, but it actually looks like a geyser, right? Science is observable and repeatable. I want to play this video. Next, what I'm going to do is I'm going to play Joe Rogan, where I have to give him credit. He had two scientists on talking about this great flood. One of the things as well, when I first became a Christian, I thought Noah's flood maybe, you know, didn't happen. Did some investigation. Ron Wyatt found Noah's Ark. I think the guy's name is Josephus. He was a non-Christian, but a very, very well-documented historian said people would go and take things from Noah's Ark. You know, it was there during Jesus's time. Unbelievable. The uh, country of Turkey actually registered Noah's Ark and said, yes, this is Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark is in Turkey. But let's play this. And the reason why I want to play this so-called meteor crater is it just talks about the deception. This guy makes a great point. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Okay, everyone, in my last video, I showed you a meteorite crater in Arizona that is supposedly 55,000 years old. And I showed you how the crater is still there, but the big meteorite that landed there is just totally gone, totally gone. And I also went on to... Uh, let you know that if you Google or whatever you want to do to look for asteroids, they're all computer uh, generated images uh, by an artist. So anyways, what kept eating at me was a scripture from Genesis 7:11 in the 600th year of Noah's life in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. Now pay attention closely, it says all the fountains of the great deep broken up. Great deep means the deep ocean, broken up means to come upward. So anyways, as I went on the search, I realized that there were more supposedly meteorite craters all over the world in different continents all around roughly around the same size as you can see here in these pictures i i took a picture from each continent from every one of these uh supposedly meteorite craters but out of all these craters there's nothing left of the meteor that landed there and i say that in quote 
supposedly landed there. There's nothing left of the meteorite, but all the craters are still there. So I went to investigate a little more. And I had remembered researching geysers many, many years ago. Now, here's a few images of what geysers look like. But the images I'm showing you are what the geysers look like when they're actually erupting. So check this out. Now, does, does these craters underneath these geysers not look familiar to you? Just take a really, really close look. Now, I'm showing you the, the ones that are erupting. Now, let's take a look at the ones that are not erupting. Okay, now let's compare the so-called meteorite craters with the geyser craters. Now check this out. As you can see here, there's a runoff on the meteor crater and a runoff on the geyser. Now look at here. Right in the middle, you see where the geyser actually comes up? You can see it in the meteor crater and the geyser. That's where the water comes up at same thing here everything around it is just where the water pressure coming up explodes everything outward and here if you look to the right of the crater and the right of the geyser they're shaped identical that's water pressure not a meteorite it's simply the original geysers that god opened up and flooded the earth with people common sense all you got to do is look at it now you notice here in this meteor crater how the earth has upturned edge around the circle of the crater now here's how that happens here is a photo of a geyser actually fixing to erupt notice how it upturns the edge of the hole around it now, once again, if we look in Genesis 7:11, towards the end of the scripture, it says, all of the fountains of the great deep broken up. The scripture tells us exactly what these are and exactly what God did to flood the earth. And it also says, and the windows of heaven were opened. So we also know that there's a firmament and it has windows in it. And he also flooded it from above as he did below. Now this is where your inner wisdom should kick in. Science tells you that these are so-called meteor craters, okay? But there's no meteors in none of them all over, all over the world. There's no meteors found nowhere near or around or in the crater itself. But yet these craters are identical to geyser craters. That's because these so-called meteor craters are the giant craters that opened up from the deep the great deep and flooded the earth the bible is real it is very accurate and the flood of noah happened and i just showed you how it happened and the funny thing about it is they even showed you in the 2014 movie
so he's just showing a geyser moving. Very powerful, my friends. So I did a VCast, Joe Rogan Needs a Bible Lesson, and also Proof the Bible is Real. Those are two VCasts that I did. I talked a little bit about Noah's flood, Ron Wyatt discovering Noah's Ark, just some different evidence thereof. So check out those two different podcasts. Go to sjwellfire.com and type in Proof Bible is Real and Joe Rogan Needs a Bible Lesson. But I want to play this video. I'm going to play it at a 1.5 speed. Give him credit. He actually had two scientists on. One of them says, you know what? Science does not want to talk about a great flood. Nothing to do with the Bible. All right, let's play it. I have been looking forward to this podcast for a long time, gentlemen. This is new information. This is new science that's been mainly published in the professional journal since 2007. It's very intriguing new information, but we cannot any longer trust the established model of the origins of civilization since it does not take into account an extinction-level event right in the foundations. And that's why I say the house of history appears to be built on foundations of sound. Now, this hasn't been adopted yet, but is it resisted? Is, uh, has the mainstream... Yes. It is. It's being whenever, you, whenever you propose a cataclysm of any kind, it's a curious thing. I don't know whether it's psychological or something more sinister than that. But whenever, whenever you propose that and present evidence for it, you can be sure that you will be descended upon by a furious crowd of critics. If we look here at the image, <clears throat> what I'm, now this is not from the catastrophic flood we're talking about here, <laughs> obviously. But interestingly enough, this was a hundred year flood that happened in Georgia back in 2004. And what we had was a, a floodplain that got uh, overtopped for the first time in decades. And it left these current ripples here. And I just, I, I use this slide to show what we're used to on the scale mm -hmm. that, of phenomena that we would normally see, right. this kind of phenomena. So this is a normal, very large major storm yes. that, you know, makes sense. This was Hurricane Ivan when it came through in 2004. Mm -hmm. it, it was, they referred to it as a hundred year flood. Right. So, so this is a massive storm, but it's nothing out of the ordinary, really. It's right. just, it's rare. But yeah, huge. it's rare. What you'll see here is, you know, I've got a measuring tape here. You're going to see the wavelength is about three inches. The amplitude, the vertical height of these things is about three quarters of an inch. And so these are all, what we're looking at is all dried dirt that yeah, has sand. Been, sand. It's been rippled. It's been carried along, in, swept along in this water that was over this floodplain, which was two feet deep. Mm -hmm. Carried along, and as the water declined, it, it, it deposited this sand and then rippled it as the final stages. And we're looking at this at what year? How long after the, the storm was this? This, this was a week or two after the storm okay. because within a month this was all, all obscured right. by wind and, and everything so now just so you've got this by comparison we'll go to this this is what graham was just talking about camas prairie and and what you see here is there's ranches out there and you've got this 10 mile long field of these gigantic ripples and if you look up in the upper left hand corner of the screen you can see some of these ripples they're like graham said they're they're 100 to 300 feet in wavelength and they're up to 50 feet in amplitude and the water that flowed through here that, that deposited this was over a thousand feet deep so this is fractal. This is fractal. You, fractal. Get, it, you exactly. get it in the small scale. In the in the first image, Rattle showed the same phenomenon there with a the flood just two feet deep. And then we come to this humongous testimony. It would, it would seem that this would be something that a, a lot of mainstream scientists and archaeologists would be extremely interested in. Like, why would they why would they try to ignore something like this? The first this? thing they try to do is to get rid of it. This is often the case where new information emerges that contradicts established, established theories. And it's a strange phenomenon in science because we like to think of scientists as, as rational and, and, and reasonable people. But the fact is that when you get very committed to a particular model, to a particular idea, I think you start to connect your own personality to it. And any attack on that idea becomes an existential attack oh, on, on you yourself. How sad. And it, is, and it is sad because again and again what we see is the, uh, the new facts being dismissed because they don't fit the existing theory. Where in fact what we should be doing is modifying the existing theory to explain the newly discovered facts. And this is a, this is a problem in the whole history of science. But today things have changed. And, and what I see is the, the archaeological mainstream in a state of denial about this information. 
information. They just don't want to recognize it and absorb it. But they're going to have to recognize it. It's going to be forced upon them, whether they like it or not. It's so sad because, you, you know, you count on these people to uh, distribute the information, but they, their egos get involved in things. And if you've been teaching something for a long time, then it turns out you gave out master's degrees on things that were completely incorrect. Absolutely. It's, Absolutely. It's got to be And, and something, something else, although this sounds a bit con- 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 conspiratorial, I, I think the existing view of history is part of a mind control system in our society. It's, it's something that we're presented with, that we take in with our mother's milk, and we're never supposed to question. Um, I think it's if you control the past, you do mm-hmm. actually control the present and the future as well. So, But you mean if you have an absolutely established narrative that you're teaching and you're unwilling to look at any possible variations to that, you're, you're saying like almost from an authority position, we know yes. what happened and we know where we're going. Yeah, but exactly. if you say, shit, we don't know what happened, yeah. then yeah. it's, well, well, then who are you to tell us where we're going? Exactly. Okay. And it starts to raise questions over everything. <clears throat> right. The, the scientists that have been in the opposition have been in the forefront of pushing this, this scenario of human-caused mass extinction and blaming the extinction of the great megafauna that died out 12,000 years ago on human hunters, which, I, again, we talked about that, and I consider that ludicrous, that you know, paleo-Indian hunters using spears are going to cause the extermination of 10 million woolly mammoths before they could even reproduce, mm-hmm. along with 120 other species of megafauna. Well, 65% <clears throat> of all mammals in North America were wiped out wiped somewhere out. around that time. Right? Wiped out. Mega mammals. Mega mammals. Which yeah, is over 100 ones. pounds in body weight, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And Actually, was, more, like 75%. 75%. 75%. And it was almost instantaneous, though, right? Yeah. I mean, it was over a course of a very short period of time. Very, very short period out. of time. <clears throat> Ooh, that gives me goosebumps. A single afternoon, yeah. all over the world, everything changes forever. Absolutely, absolutely. And then I'd, I'd like, Randall, to address this issue of continent-wide wildfires, because we do see this in the, in the, in the stratum, that when you get this superheated ejector coming down on, on ancient yeah. primal forests, consider the effect. This is Murray Springs, one of the Clovis sites, and this is what the, was known as the Black Mat Layer. Where's Murray Springs? It's in Arizona, and it's, it's southern Arizona, and it's near the Clovis site, which is um, New Mexico. Um, Clovis, the Clovis Impact Site? Well, no, the Clovis site was where the, one of the first places in North America where human remains were found in association with uh, extinct mega mammals, such as woolly mammoths. Um, and it's just outside of Clovis, New Mexico. And, and many of these Clovis sites, and there's been over 50 of them around now documented over North America, I think about two-thirds of them have this black matte layer, which shows up very clearly in this image. Now, that black matte layer is black because of the uh, considerable amount of carbon carbon soot that's in it. So in other words, right there, that's the evidence of your wildfires, is that this blanket of soot over the continent that left this black matte layer. And below that black matte layer, you'll find extinct mega mammals. Like here, you see the, the yellow arrow there points to the black matte layer. Now, if you look up, you'll see how it's more buff colored. Mm-hmm. That was the color of all of this, but the soot that was in that black matte layer has dispersed and, and colored the other uh, adjacent layers. But you'll notice the bones below are the bones of extinct mammals. The bones found above it are extant or still existing mammals. And that layer separates... Um, these, these, these two domains of extinct mammals and extant okay, mammals. Okay, just a very clear line. Yeah, and, and you can see it. It shows up so clearly right To here. people who are listening to this, when we're looking at the original image that Randall showed, it's almost like an Oreo cookie. Like there's mm-hmm. just a clean line, and then there's a white filling underneath. I mean, it is as clear as day. God, now at the perspective base, is so yeah. difficult in this. It, it's a difficult this is Because there's numbers that you guys are throwing around, and, and there's concepts that you're throwing around that I, I just I have to pause when you say, well, wait a minute. i got to try to fit this in somewhere. But yeah. it's, this is sitting 400 feet above the modern-day Columbia. So we know that the water was at least this high. Well, actually, it had to have been higher than this. And how do we know that this rock just wasn't there? How do we know that it was carried by this? Uh... <clears throat> well, because it's not part of the bedrock. It's sitting on top of the land surface, like all of these. If we, we look here, we've got some, some other... Do we know where it came from? Do we know how far away it, it, or yes, it originated? Yes, it, it's probably come from about 50 miles to 75 miles north of here. It's, it's, the type of basalt it is, is, is has been identified. I don't remember specifically, but when you travel over this land, you see these giant boulders just strewn about. There's a place called Boulder Park. It's a tourist attraction now. You can wow. go see it. Yeah. yeah. And you can see there, I mean, Jesus. the size of that. And there's, let's see. Oh, my God. Yeah. 
So they just stand out like out and, of nowhere. And this thing was transported almost 200 miles from its, its likely origin was Mount Robeson. And we didn't get to this one. Mm -hmm. But this is evidence that the, the, the flooding was much more extensive than just the Missoula right. flooding. Your North American I think continental I should, just, I should just jump in there and say that uh, it isn't any longer controversial that there was gigantic flooding in the Pacific Northwest and in, indeed across the whole range just south of the ice cap. That, that is accepted now. But yeah. the very idea that there was flooding at all was hotly opposed for, for decades. There was a great American geologist called J. Harlan Bretz, mm -hmm. who was the first to document the fact that there had been colossal flooding in that area. And he lived in the 1900s and 1920s. And because he suggested that there had been a cataclysm, of course, he was exiled by his colleagues. Mm -hmm. Eventually, his data prevailed and he was awarded the Penrose Medal, the highest award of the geological uh, geology in America in 1976 when he was like 96 years old. That must have sucked and, for and him. And he said then, he said, he said, all my enemies are dead, so I have no one left to gloat over. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. But it's so disturbing to me that it works like that. Yeah. It works like that. So, they're but demonized. What, but what happened, you see, was Harlan Bretz was convinced from the beginning that he was dealing, and this is a very experienced field geologist, that he was dealing with a single humongous flood. Randall, what is this crazy image? Well, this is actually here? out of a 19th century text when catastrophism, before catastrophism, had been completely exorcised from mainstream geology. And this was um, Louis Figure, I think was his name, who speculated that the, that the ice sheets over northwestern Europe had catastrophically melted down. And he had an illustration in his geology text which perfectly captures how these large erratics are actually being transported aboard these icebergs. And you can see the scale of the thing. And this is the kind of, you see whole forests are about to be washed away here. We've got some, inter this was a place that Graham and I visited here, which really spectacularly mm -hmm embodies this whole phenomenon. This is known as, as Dry Falls Cataract. And it's about five miles wide. And I'm going to show you ground photographs and a couple of aerial photographs of it so you can kind of get the scale of the thing. Now, this and the was, great thing is anybody can go there. Yeah. This, is, this is on the land. It's, it's ours to look at. We Even, can all go and see this. It's an amazing yeah. trip to see it. You could go there, Joe. They would let you in there to see this. Uh -huh. now, now, you'll notice these, that there's a series of these alcoves here that, that you know, these, these horseshoe shapes. Back on the image of Dry Falls. But, yeah, back on the image of Dry Falls, exactly. And, and at some point, somebody's going to be able to see these images, right? Yeah, well, people could go and Google them online, but they'll see okay. them right now on YouTube if they watch the YouTube version if they see of the, show. the YouTube, okay. So here's a typical Horseshoe Falls of Niagara, which is, which is a modern uh, cataract, receding cataract. And this, this horseshoe shape is very typical of the way water will erode bedrock because water flows faster in the middle of the stream. Therefore, it erodes faster in the middle and not so much as you get towards the margins. And so it creates this classic horseshoe shape profile. And that's what we're seeing here at Dry Falls. Now, this is just one of the alcoves of about half a dozen of the alcoves that we saw in the, the map of it. In other words, this is a monstrously big waterfall. Yes. Now, Dry today. Just off to the left of the picture is, is where, um, actually, and there's a photograph in Graham's book taken um, from, let's go back, we skipped over it. There right. it is. This is the viewpoint. And this is Horseshoe Falls of Niagara superimposed on Dry Falls, so you can mm. get a sense of the scale. So Niagara Falls is a tiny, tiny little thing yeah. by comparison with this ancient fossilized waterfall. Dry Falls between Upper and Lower Grand Coulee in Washington State is the result of flooding. What? Yeah. And, and for people, try to explain this for people that are listening, because it's it's probably 10 times bigger. Plus. Well, more than that. How many, it, how many times bigger? It's two and a half times as high. And well, figure this. The, the discharge over of the Niagara River over the falls is a couple hundred thousand cubic feet per second maximum. The, the discharge over Grand Coulee was somewhere between 300 and 400 million cubic feet per second. Or in other words, somewhere between 10 and 20 times the combined flow of every river on Earth flowing all at once. <laughs> and the height of this scarp face here, this cliff, is about 400 feet. Oh the God. water coming over was about 400 feet deep. So if you were here visualize, see, witnessing this at the peak of the flood, you wouldn't, in fact, even see a waterfall. What you would see is this massive 10-mile-wide turgid river choked with icebergs and debris and whole forests. And that, that river is rattle flowing at, what, 60, 70 miles Six, an hour? 60, 70 miles an hour. What you would have seen here was just a bump in this flood. And then only at the latter stages of it would it actually have been a waterfall. As the, as the water source was dissipating and as the water was declining, you would have the final stage of it being a waterfall. Then eventually the waterfall stopped. And what you have today is this fossilized feature of this massive. And this is only one of about a half a dozen 
See, here's the problem. Geologists haven't been focused on catastrophism. What they've been doing, they work for the government, they work for the oil companies. They, they're more interested in what's down below, the, the, the natural gas, the oil and so stuff. The money is. There's, another yeah. point, there's another point I'd like to add to that, Randall, as to yep. why geologists are not uh, focused on catastrophes. Uh, geology uh, is a science, uh, and, and science, in effect, defined itself as being different from religious superstition. So the notion of the Great Flood that we find in the Bible became a very discredited notion in science. And, and uh, the, 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 by, by, by association with that, any suggestion of a great cataclysm in the past was seen as superstitious behavior yeah. to be shunned completely by the squeaky clean shiny new sciences who must never take that into account so any geologist who dares to propose a cataclysmic episode is up against that right away oh. that his colleagues don't want to go there because they're afraid that they're going to be accused of buying into Noah's flood or whatever that's so unfortunate but it's true and, and this is the this is the problem so there's there's catastrophism and uniformitarianism and the prevailing dogma in geology is the uniformitarian dogma which is basically to say the way we see things in the world today that's how it's always been mm -hmm. it's never exactly. been any change so Randall what is the mainstream understanding of those 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 formations like what when they look at those the Utah ones for example gigantic Utah I have searched and searched and I find nothing they just don't explain it they don't explain they just it. go oh look how pretty this this picture is interesting because what it does is it it, it shows that you know you travel over these this landscape explain it, what this picture is and where is okay, it okay you know now this is um this is in uh Western Montana, and this is a place called um, Dry Creek. And what this is is just a gravel pit. But what you see here is deposits caused by surging floodwaters moving up tributary valleys loaded with sediment. And one of the things that a stratigrapher or a sedimentologist looks at is you notice how they're tilted. You see how the, the, the layers are tilted? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's an indication of which direction the water is moving. The tilting goes down in the direction that the water is flowing. So what we see here is massive turbulent sediment-laden floodwaters back flooding up a valley, surging, leaving deposits, and then flowing back out, followed by another wave, followed by another wave. People traveling over this landscape don't see what's under their feet. Well, it all makes sense. It really does. It's, it's all shocking and stunning and fantastic, but it all makes sense. I, I think it does make sense. And, and, and I think it's, it's, it's something that's part of the human heritage. It's something that we, we all have to get to grips with. Again, this is one of the things I find in, encouraging about developments in the world today is that more and more people do appear to be thinking for themselves. You know, there, there was a, a time when we, we took the word of specialists. Dr. X or Professor Y said this. Mm -hmm. It had to be true. That was the first argument, was the argument from authority. The authorities say this cannot be so, therefore it is not so. And a lot of people just, just bought that. What's changed, I think, in the last 20 years is that that, that, that um, subservience to authority has gone away. It hasn't gone away completely, but we don't trust authority anymore, rightly and properly, because we've been lied to by authority figures, and we know they lied to us, and we saw the evidence. So this must have been just an absolutely enormous event when it happened, and, and really Unimaginable. Sudden. Unimaginable. And human beings lived through that, and it changed everything. These... They're called extinction-level events. These global cataclysms wipe the slate clean. And then they began to evolve, and, and here we are. So dinosaurs became chickens, and shrews became human That's beings. That's almost the world harder changes. for me to imagine than this. This is very hard to be, for me to wrap my head around, but that we came from a shrew 65 million years well, ago that's almost the, harder. That's the, that's, that's, the, that's the story of, <laughs> yes. of evolution. One can buy into it or not. One can buy into it or not. So if you live on the coast and you're a Christian, just pray about this. Is this something that you need to worry about? At a minimum, check your insurance for sinking buildings for potential flooding. Will your insurance cover your property? Personally, if I lived on the coast and I needed to stay there, I would sell my property and I would rent is what I would do. Folks, the attacks on this ministry have been over the top. My support us was taken down. I put a video about King Charles on TikTok that wouldn't play. And what was wild is I did a video about the IMF Mark of the Beast money called Unicorn Central Bank Digital Currency, and that was actually pulled off my own website. So pray for this ministry. We're definitely over the target. And if you're not a Christian, do your own research. Noah's Flood was one for me that 
I had to dive deep into that and giants. And then I figured out the Smithsonian Institute covered up the giants. Giants were all over the place, linked back to the Bible. And Noah's flood was another one. I think the historian Josephus, I think his name was, he was a non-Christian, famous historian during Jesus's time, wrote about how people, again, were going to actually taking remnants of Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark was around when Jesus was walking the earth. Just flat out documented, my friends, and check out Ron Wyatt's work. So sjwellfire.com, sign up for our alerts for the latest VCast and have a blessed day.